Today's scripture reading is from the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and thanks be to Don for reading that. We love the word of God here at Harvest, and we're so excited about all that God is doing. We're going to jump into a sermon series, an eight-week sermon series in the book of Revelation. No S, though I thought there was an S for the longest time growing up, right? Um, so if you want to get a head start there, it's the last book of the Bible. Um, and so we're going to be there this week as we, between now and we're going to conclude this on Easter Sunday. And we're so excited about all that God is doing as he continues to build his church. And that's our theme for the ministry year. Build your church, Lord. It's our heart cry. And uh, the cry of our hearts this morning is that God would lead us into his throne room. Amen. And we're going to get a bigger vision of who God is. And we just want to sit there and we want to stay there. And so I really want to challenge you as we begin to go there to silence your hearts and to open your hearts to however God would have you respond, not just today, but through the coming eight weeks and beyond, because God is at work. We exist to worship God. We exist to exalt God and delight in that. It's all about Jesus. Amen. It's all about Jesus here at Harvest. It's all about Jesus in God's word. And that's what we want to do. And we have the privilege of living that life that way for God. And praise God that he continues to build his church. He does. And what a special week last week. I continue to just spend all week so thankful for how God is at work here as we sent off our first missionary internationally to Nicaragua from this body. Praise God. She got there okay. Amen. Praise God. So continue to keep Victoria in your prayers um, and just that God will work in her and through her. We installed some new elders and God just continues to work in a big way. But the good news is it's not just here locally, but it's also regionally and globally. We're sending some of our students off to a regional youth retreat up in North Bay next week. Be praying, please, this week for for them. We're going to gather a couple hundred students from all up and down the East Coast that God would change and transform lives. Amen. If you're familiar at all with what's going on at Asbury University out in Kentucky, man, there's a revival that God wants to do in this country. And he wants to begin with young people. And I believe that with all my heart. And I believe, just pray that the Holy Spirit would move in a profound way and that he would work there. And, and it, it continues to grow internationally. This week, I want to encourage you. Uh, thank you for your generosity because worship is generosity and generosity is worship. So at the end of the year, we, we ask that you would give above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings to some specific projects. One of those was $2,500 to the church plant that we are helping to plant in the Dominican Republic in a, in a barrio in a neighborhood called Hato Mayor of the city of Santiago. And this week, to give a power inverter to, to enable them to have the lights on for their new church plant. And you'll see a picture behind me right here. This week, the money was received and this was installed. Praise God. Amen. It's awesome. So thank you guys so much. Literally, your gifts are in being put into action. And so just thank you for your faithfulness and generous hearts lead to multiplied opportunities. So I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you if Harvest is your church home to continue to give, give generously. Um, and you can do it online. You can do it in the back and even just help us to finish the month of February strong and going beyond. Praise God for how he's building his church. Jesus built, builds his church and he cares for his church. Amen. And we're going to see that from the book of Revelation. He cares so much for his church that he writes seven personal letters back to his church to encourage, to exhort, to convict them, to call them to repentance. And we're going to look at, over the next several weeks, the heart of Jesus Christ 
and the heart of his church, because this is Jesus's church, right? We want to live his way, in his power, on his mission, for his glory. And there is some course correcting that needs to happen then and even here now. And remember, church is collective, but it's also individual. A church definitionally is a called out gathering of individuals. And so what we each individually have to choose to center our hearts and lives on Jesus Christ and to be fueled for the mission of Jesus. And as we kick off this new sermon series, we're going to see that God has a bigger and greater picture of his son, Jesus Christ, that he wants us to understand. Each letter of the, that we're going to look at over the next seven weeks, and we're going to look at all chapter one today as an introduction, is a call to remember your Redeemer, to reflect back on who Jesus is and to recenter our lives and where we've gone astray to repent. And so, yes, we are calling you to repentance because Jesus is calling us each to repentance. Revival in our hearts bring, begins with repentance to God. In the middle of every difficulty, these letters in this text today is going to speak so powerfully the reality to remember our Redeemer that He is risen and that He is reigning. Amen. To look up, to look in, and then to look out to the reality that Jesus must be central, that our eyes must be fixed on Jesus, that we must look in our hearts and turn from those areas of our hearts that have drifted from Jesus, and we must look out to a world that is in desperate need of Jesus. Amen so that we stand firm on the authority of Jesus and we herald, we herald in the face of adversity, we herald in the face of conflict, the life-changing, family-altering gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to do. And each week we're going to see churches that face different types of adversities and the call of Jesus is to stand resolutely on the reality of his eternal victory. Each week as we read the words of our Savior, may our hearts for our Redeemer grow and may our, our hearts be filled with awe and our voices explode with adoration. As the one who died for his church builds his church and is writing now to exhort his church to remember its Redeemer and to live in a way that truly honors and reflects its Savior. In view of the greatness of God, in view of the greatness of Jesus, the call is to center our lives, every aspect of our heart on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And to that is the way that we experience abundant life, the hope, the joy, the peace. Even in a world of external difficulty, we can experience internal transformation, the hope, the joy that you're yearning for today. This series is a call to renew our minds, to recapture our hearts, to realign our lives all around Jesus Christ. It's a call to repentance and renewal, to truly be and to truly live the church that Jesus died for, to be the church that Jesus designed us to be, and to be the church that Jesus desires us to be. Here's a big idea for to this week, and you'll see it in your notes and on the screen, that my right response to the revelation of Jesus Christ is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. My right response to the revelation of Christ is the exaltation of Christ. Exaltation is worship. One of our pillars here is to lift high the name of Jesus and worship. Lift high. Worship means to ascribe. It means to ascribe proper value to. It means to elevate Jesus Christ over this whole series and today is a call of to elevate of elevation and exhortation a higher view of Jesus should should and must lead to lift, lifting high the name of Jesus and worship not just for an hour hour and a half on a Sunday morning but in 24 hours a day 7 days a week as you go to work as you're at home as you're at the gym as you're on the ball field as you're doing your thing we are lifting high the name of Jesus in worship i pray that my ask of you this morning it will be every week is to open your hearts, to be open and to be real, to be real with the reality of where you are in your walk with the Lord. And maybe you haven't started yet, but Jesus is here to die. He gets to tell you he loves you and he dies for you. And to be open to however the Holy Spirit would move. To not just check a box, but to open your heart to the power and the beauty of God and the work that he wants to do in you and through you. Because I know would be on a shadow of a doubt that he wants to work in you powerfully this morning and every single day of your life. Will you let him? Will you look to him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that you would move. God, this, this text is so holy, and you are so sovereign. And God, I just pray that you would silence me and that your words would flow. You are a consuming fire, God. May our hearts explode with reverence and awe today, as you call us to in the book of Hebrews because we have been given a kingdom that cannot and will not be shaken. No matter what rattles and what rolls outside of our lives, your kingdom will not be shaken. 
And we praise you for that. Help us to look to you and elevate you in every nook and every cranny of our lives. And help us see you greater, high, exalted, risen, who will be returning. And help us to center our lives around that. God, bring us to repentance. Bring us to renewal. Restore us. And then send us, God. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation. We're going to look at all of chapter 1 today. And newsflash, we could spend weeks on this chapter, years on this chapter. And so we're going to look at, at how the Holy Spirit leads this morning. Um, we've been through the first three verses of Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, the book of Revelation was written by the last living apostle, a guy by the name of John, right? He also wrote the Gospel of John, then three books of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He was known as the beloved disciple of Jesus. Jesus had a very close personal relationship with John. He is, he is about 90, in his 90s most likely, and he's on an island called Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea, just off the shore of the Asia Minor, which was a, served as a penal colony for Rome. He was basically in a world camp in his mid-90s when he received a profound vision from the Lord, and he was in this camp because he testified to, the, to Jesus Christ, and he would not stop sharing the gospel of Jesus. And he received this vision to write letters to these churches. The year is about AD 95-96, most likely about 60 years approximately, give or take, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus. So John's an old man, but man, if you're not dead, you're not done, Amen. This is an amazing and awe-inspiring book. One revelation, no S, one main purpose, Jesus Christ. There's a lot of what's and when's, but more than the what and the when is the who in the book of Revelation. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The word revelation in, in chapter 1, verse 1, this is the only time the, the word is used in the whole book. It, it literally, it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. Any, any guesses on what the English version of that is? Apocalypse, right? But now while today we use that word apocalypse as a synonym for chaos and catastrophe, here it actually means to reveal, to uncover, and to unveil or disclose. What this book is, is a peek inside of heaven to see Jesus Christ glorified, risen and reigning, and promising to come back again for us in victory. It's a, it, with, it gives us clarity to something that was once cloaked in divine mystery, this revelation was given, it was written to manifest the magnificence of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the victory of Jesus on the cross of Calvary in the past, the presence of Jesus with us here on earth, and the imminent return of Jesus to rule and to reign. Now, in the middle of such mystery, and the much mystery of this revelation provides, the book of Revelation provides a lot of clarity. But don't miss the message Jesus' sovereignty and gospel centrality must become our daily reality as we as his disciples look to collectively live as his church. And not just some things, but in everything. This is the why behind our what, that Jesus is center of our lives, that he is exalted and glorified. It's a, it's a book of worship because we are called to live lives of worship. Now, in all the mystery of the book of Revelation, don't lose sight of the Messiah. In all the symbology, don't minimize the Savior. In all the debates about eschatology, don't allow them to diminish or replace the reality that the primary focus is on Jesus. Victory and divine sovereignty. We can't let what hasn't been made fully clear to cloud what has been made fully clear. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he died on the cross for our sins. That he defeated sin and death once and for all. He was raised from death to life. He ascended to heaven and where he rules and reigns today. And he is coming back for us in victory. Praise his holy name forever. Amen. Praise his holy name forever. That is the heartbeat of the book of Revelation. 
Jesus wants you to know his heart because he wants your heart. Not just some of it, but all of it. We're going to see that over the next seven weeks after today. We're going to see how he goes after the heart of the church. Some hearts of the churches that have wandered. Some hearts of the church that need to be encouraged. Most of the the letters have a a part of it that's a, a, a commendation. Way to go. Good job, church. And then a call to repentance. Hey, you've drifted from this. An encouragement to, hey, there's, I know your life is literally on the line, but keep persevering because earthly life isn't it. Eternal life is. Stand firm, stand strong. Look up, look in, look out to see the Savior. These letters were written personally by Jesus so that we would have a heart after Jesus. Praise God for that. The revelation of Christ demands a response from each of us. What's your response today? We're going to look at three right responses to the revelation of Christ right from this beautiful text. The first is this. My response to the revelation of Christ, the first is elevate God's word. Right here in the first three verses, elevate God's word. Because the true exaltation of Jesus Christ, the son of God, and again, this is a holistic, whole life thing not just as some parts of your life thing, results in the authentic elevation of God's word in your life. One thing the first three verses of this text make very crystal clear is that the blessing of God in my life comes through the elevation of God's word in my life. There's a lot of bad theology about blessing. Here's true theology. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have his favor, but not in the way that maybe we think about blessing, not health, not wealth. Read the book, literally. We're gonna look at that in the next several days, but it's more of Jesus. It's a closer relationship with Jesus. It's more of his character revealed. It's more of his mission expanded. That it's more the presence of God manifested in my life. That is true blessing. Not the ability to have more money in the bank or a cushier job with a corner office. And in fact, a lot of ways, more blessing means more suffering. We need to have a true theology of suffering. We need to look at the divine, look at the, with me at the divine chain of custody of, of, of communication of this letter. It's really profound, right? It's verse one. It starts with God and then goes to Jesus Christ. And then he makes it, it gives it to his, the angels and the Holy Spirit, who then gives it to his servant, John, to go to his servant, Sedulos. The word, duo, the word servant there means doulos. It's very important. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So from God the Father to God the Son to the angel, the word angel means messenger, to John his servant and to the church who are all his servants, all duoses. Look at the purpose of the message. Look at me at verse two. He gives it to his servant John to bear witness, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word of God, that's the purpose, to bear witness to the word and the testimony of the gospel. That's the purpose of the letters. And the, look at the urgency of the message. Verse one, because of things that must soon take place. Now, this is really important to think about in the book of Revelation. We're not going to have time to do a deep dive on all the symbols and all the, all the different things in this chapter and beyond. So you can study them on your own time if you want. We're going to go a little bit in some of them. But some of them are really, really important to understand. So when you see the phrase like this, where it says things that must soon take place, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen tomorrow, although it might. God, our God, operates outside of time. So what is soon to God might not be even occur in our lifetime, right? What it means is it will happen one day, but it's not guaranteed to happen any particular day. But it will happen. But the message here, the message behind the words is urgency. Live with urgency. We can't delay on making the gospel our priority. We must live with gospel clarity because the time is coming. In apocalyptic literature, the future is always viewed as imminent. So we must live in a way with urgency. While we don't know, much, we don't know the exact time or the, the exact order, and there has been much debate over those things, we do know that they will happen. So a big part of elevating God's word in my life is living with this expectancy of the reality of Jesus' return and trusting what God's word tells us, living with an urgency and sharing the good news of the gospel to all those that are around us, and living with clarity and focusing on and unifying around what God's word makes clear to us and giving grace to those who interpret things that are not essential in a different way than us. Praise, amen. 
Revelation is filled with metaphors and symbolism that represent real truths and real things, but we have to be careful to not, not err in interpreting some of them in an overtly literal sense. Symbols are meant to be, well, symbolic and point us to our Savior, not draw our focus away from our Savior. When you discuss Revelation, are you talking more about the debate of when and where, or are you talking more about Jesus? The Word of God is the revelation of God, not just the book of Revelation, but the totality of it. 66 books written by God himself. God wrote a book, right? The Holy Spirit wrote it, and he used human authors. Every single message and word in this book is without error, and it is the Word of God. It is applicable today as it was some 2,000 years ago when it was originally written, and on this book we stand. That's why Bible's our middle name of this church, right? Harvest Bible. We love God's word. We stand on God's word. This is our truth. Our emotions aren't our truth. Our culture isn't our truth. Oprah Winfrey is not our source of truth. Social media is not our source of truth. Scripture must be our source of truth. So the question is to you, what is God's word to you and who is Jesus to you? That's the question that the Holy Spirit is going to ask each and every one of us throughout this entire series. But look at verse three with me right here, straight from the, the, the word of God. Blessed is the one. You want, who, raise your hand if you want rhetorical, God's blessing in your life, right? You can raise, you want God's blessing? Here it is right here, the pathway to blessing. Blessed is the one who does what? Read aloud the word of the prophecy. So three ways to get God's blessing in your life. Three ways to experience the blessing of God. They all come to elevating the word of God in your life. The first way to get experience God's blessing as you elevate God's word is to one, read it publicly. Blessed is the one, verse three, who reads aloud, what? The words of his prophecy. Not the latest social media highlight of the day, although we might, or the tweet, you know, texting your buddy. Look what happened in the sports world. How many of us share a whole lot more what happens in the entertainment world, the sports world, the culture world, the political world, far more than what we share about God's word, right? Why is that? We need to read God's word publicly because God's word changes things. This why is a part of the sermon series. We're going to read God's word publicly every single week. We're going to close this, ser- this sermon today with reading God's word. Why? Because it brings blessing and we want God's favor. We want God's hand. Are you reading the word publicly at home to your spouse and with your kids? Are you reading it in your small group? Are you reading it out loud at work? I mean, some of you might have some restrictions, but are you, be intentional. Let's start a Bible study when you can, or let's go meet for, let's go meet for happy hour afterwards. Drink some Diet Cokes or whatever and open God's word together because there's power in the word. Are you inviting your neighbors over? Are you going to your neighbors? Let's read God's word together because that's where God's blessing comes. We're going to stand unapologetically on it. We're not, going to, we're not going to complain about it. We're not going to excuse it. We're not going to go, I'm sorry that God's word says this about sexuality, gender, racism. No, God's word says what it says. And on that we stand. But we're going to communicate it with love, with grace, with humility, with gentleness, because God's word teaches us to do those things. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. But don't miss this part, but do so with what? Gentleness and respect. Would everything you say be said in love? Not to win an argument or win a culture war. Let God, God can defend himself. Just let the lion out of the cage, as Spurgeon once said. Second thing, listen to it intently. What's the second way to elevate God's word in my life? Listen to it. Right here, verse three, whoever reads the word, blessed is the one who reads the word aloud of this prophecy and blessed are those who what? Hear. Friends, today, are you hearing the word? Did you show up with a closed heart or an open heart? Have you already predetermined what God wants you to do because you're just waiting for God to check the box in reality of what you want to do? Or are you laying your life, laying your decisions, laying your processes down at the feet of Jesus and God's word, speak to me. When you go into God's word, pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, remove any blockers from my heart and uncloud my mind and speak your truth. Reveal to me what you want and help me to hear. You know, you think about the business world, a lot ever hear about active listening, Right? How many of us actively listen to the word of God? Or do we go into it with closed mind? When you show up to a small group or we go listen to a podcast or listen to a message or whatever, are you genuinely going, Holy Spirit, speak to me whatever you want today? 
Or you're like, God, you can speak to me in this area, but when you begin to poke and prod in this other area, I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to tune out. I'm going to scroll through social media when I'm pretending I'm on my digital Bible. Hmm. Are you listening today to the whole, what the Holy Spirit wants? Are you renewing your mind? Are you anchoring in? Are you resetting your priorities? Are you going, what does God's word say about this versus what do I just want to do about it? That's how you'll receive God's blessing in your life. Thirdly is this, God's blessing doesn't just come as we read it publicly and we listen to this word intently. It comes as we obey it faithfully. Verse three, those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Again, the urgency, the reality of the situation for the time is near. Are you not just speaking it publicly? Are you not just listening to it intently, but are you actually obeying it faithfully? Well, God's word says this, but I'm not sure. I don't really think that I have to do this or this is too hard for me or I don't, it's gonna cost me too much. Are you keeping God's word? Not just some of it, but all of it. It's not a buffet. God's word is not a buffet. I'll, I'll take the parts I like, but you know, culture has gotten a little bit different in this area. So I'm going to believe culture over the word. No, we need to keep all of it. Not just some of it. We need to study it. We need to love it. You know why? Because how you relate to the word of God goes back to how you relate to God himself. Go back to verse one. So it says that these things must soon take place. John was called his, the servant of God, and it, the word must be given to his servants, verse 1. The word there for servant in both situations is the word doulos. Doulos means bond servant. It means I have voluntarily laid down my rights to serve a master who is greater than me. Obeying God's word faithfully means surrendering to God completely and submitting my heart and my life and my money and my actions under the authority of God's word fully wholeheartedly. Have you done that? Because when the heart posture is in alignment vertically with God, the life posture horizontally with others will reflect the character of God. But it starts with that surrender. I'm not going to obey God's word faithfully if I have not surrendered to God completely. Because my mind thinks that I know what's better than, for myself than God does. So it starts with submission and surrender. Have you done that? Because that's where you will receive true blessing. You need to redefine blessing in your life. Blessing is more of God and less of other things. And God might bless you financially, but those finances aren't for you. They're just steward to advance his kingdom. He might bless you with time, but how are you using your time to advance his kingdom? Are you obeying the word of God faithfully? Isaiah says this, God actually says this through this prophet Isaiah. He says this in Isaiah 66 too, when it talks about blessing. This is the one to whom I will look. Again, the concept there is favor. The same thing as blessing. The one who is humble, the one who is contrite in spirit, and the one who trembles at my word. How do you relate to God's word? Again, how you relate to God's word is directly proportional to how you relate to God himself. When you submit to God as, and Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will submit to the daily living out his word. Where are you in that in your life? Remember, my right response to the revelation of Christ is the exaltation of Christ. So I need to elevate God's word in my life because that is a form of worship where I am surrendering. I'm saying God in God's word is greater than me. So I'm going to ascribe that sovereignty to God's word and then I will obey it fully because I want to read it publicly and I want to listen to it intently because I want to become more like Jesus. Where's your heart right now in that? The decisions you're facing, are you literally going to God's word? Are you finding your encouragement and your strength in God's word or are you looking somewhere else? The second right response after I elevate God's word to the response of Jesus' revelation is this, is to exalt God's son. So we want to elevate God's word and we want to exalt his son. Look with me at verses four through eight that we read earlier. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I don't know how you read these verses without your heart exploding in worship. I just don't know how. I'm like trembling right now. Because our God is awesome. <laughs> I say the word awesome a lot. It should really only be applied to God. <laughs> He's awesome, literally. Literally. 
And so now Jesus is instructing to John to write these letters to these seven churches. Seven churches are in Asia Minor. Now the number seven throughout the book of Revelation in the entire Bible is very symbolic. It's real and it's literal and it's also metaphorical. Seven is the number of perfection, of fullness, of completeness. So while John is going to write to seven literal churches, he's also literally writing to his church in all of eternity. He's writing to us too. It's applicable in Revelation, later in the book of Revelation, John has said the book of Revelation is said to be an open scroll. It's not closed. It's applicable to us today. So these seven churches were scattered all throughout Asia Minor. You know, there's something about getting a handwritten letter in the mail, right? There's something cool about opening it up and you see where it's postmarked from. You you see the handwriting of a loved one or a friend or a family member. Imagine opening a letter and seeing it's from Jesus. Now, you'll see a map behind me of where these churches are. And so over the next seven weeks, after this week, we're going to go one by one through these letters and, and through these churches. They're all in Asia Minor. You see the island of Patmos. That's where John is. So he's writing to these churches in, in Asia Minor. And the initial greeting is to these churches suffering great, they're all suffering persecution. Like their lives are literally on the line. We're going to see over the next several weeks, many of them are dying and being martyred. John himself has paid the price for, for following the Lord and he is on a, in a penal colony. So within that context, we see this encouragement. What's the first letter of the introduction to each of these letters? Write these letters here. Grace to you and peace from him who, who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus says, start with the gospel. Start with God's grace that is sufficient to save you, to strengthen you, to endure you, that God's grace throughout whatever troubles and trials and tribulations it will endure, because it will give you the peace that you're looking for. Nothing outside of the grace of God can give you the peace. You say, you and I can't earn it. We don't, we don't deserve it. We deserve death, right? But we are saved through God's grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that Jesus came and he died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, took our place. The gospel in four words, Jesus in my place. He died the death you and I deserve to die. And he, pay, he made it, he, he, he was risen from the dead by God the Father, and now we can spend eternity with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is pointing us back to the grace in our suffering. It, grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. Where do you need God's grace in your life right now? Because it's available for you. And man, the heart, the response to God's grace should be worship. We see here in the introduction that all three members of the Trinity are, are, are writing. If you imagine this letter, you could almost be like from God with love, right? Because you see right here, you see God the Father who is represented initially with who was and who is and who is to come. That's talking about God the Father. It's talking about the reality of he exists outside of time. He has never been created. He always has been. He's with us now and he always will be. Praise God for that. And then it talks about the seven spirits before, before the throne. And now most scholars, and I would agree with them, actually believe that this is actually talking about the Holy Spirit. Again, the number seven there given to, to metaphorically represent the completeness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Where is he located? He's before the throne of God. Romans 8 teaches us that when we don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. Praise God for that. The Holy Spirit is both in, in the throne room of God and he's inside you and I in our hearts. Isn't that awesome? Praise God for that. And then we have Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. He makes himself present there in a very big way. And all of this revelation of God in Jesus should lead to our exaltation of him. Because look at verse 5 and 6. In verse 6, we see that the response that is called for from us to him, him, Jesus Christ, be what? Glory and dominion forever and ever. And that's exaltation. In response to the revelation of Jesus, our right response is the exaltation of Jesus. That Jesus, you alone should become glorified. Jesus, that you alone should receive the glory. Not me. How many of us are glory hogs right now, right? We, whether we admit it or not, we want the glory. Jesus will not share his glory with another. Isaiah says that. And I love what the psalmist says. And when I used to coach basketball, we would tell our kids to say this all the time at the last huddle, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Isaiah, Psalm 115.1. Be real today. Is that you? Are, you? are you hoarding God's glory? Or are you declaring God's glory? So there are three reasons in this text that we should exalt Jesus. Not that we need to, an explanation for it, but I think the text sort of helps us with this. 
the first reason that we are sure exalt Jesus 24-7 in our life, and it's more than the lips that we the lips, the words that come out of our lips, but it's the decisions we make. The first reason is this, because of who Jesus is to me. Look at verse five and six. And from Jesus Christ, and it begins to describe who Jesus is, the faithful witness. Let's start there. Praise God that Jesus is faithful even when we aren't, amen. Man, I'm so much of my life, I am not faithful to God. I am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. But God is faithful, and Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross even when he didn't necessarily, he was not looking forward to being separated from God because it required a temporary separation from God. Jesus going to the cross required him to bear the wrath of God fully. And he prayed the night before he left and went to the cross, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But what? Not my will, but yours be done. He is faithful to love you. He knows you. And that word is, next word is witness, right? Jesus was a full witness to the grace and the glory of God. He came as a tangible demonstration of the love of God. The word witness in the Greek there is actually the Greek word martis. Guess what English word we get from that? Martyr. He was such an, a, a tangible represent, representation of the love of God that he laid down his life for you because that's how much God loves you unconditional love, faithful love, even when we fall short, Jesus said, I will take your place. He was beaten. He was cursed. He had a crown of thorns on his head. He had nails that pierced his arms and he hung on a cross for you and for me because he was willing to lay down his life for us. Praise his holy name forever. Amen. And he calls us to do the same. Jesus laid his life down for us. Will you in worship lay your life down for him? He's a faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. It's a messianic title. He was risen to reign. God didn't keep him dead. God raised him from the dead because the grave can't hold him and sin can't stop him. That's my God. Is that your Jesus? Is that your God? And he is not just risen, he is reigning. He is the ruler of the kings on earth. We exalt Jesus because of who he is to us. That's awesome, isn't it? It doesn't stop there, though. We exalt Jesus because of what he's done for us. Look as it continues in 5 and 6. To him who loves us. Man, you are so loved. We don't just say you are loved at the end of the service because it's a fun catchphrase. It's because it's a reminder of the reality of how Jesus views you. The world might reject you. Your, your significant other might dump you. Your boss might fire you. Jesus loves you. And nothing and no one can take that away from you. Read Romans 8. It's in the book. He loves you. Ongoing. He has freed you from this. And he has redeemed you right there, right? He has freed us from the captivity and the eternal condemnation that comes from our sin. And he did that how? By his blood. He died on the cross for your sins and if you confess him as Lord and Savior once and for all, you will spend eternity with him. You are no longer captive, but you are free. May today be your day of jailbreak and emancipation. Put your faith in him. And he doesn't just do that. He has made us a kingdom. He's poured us into a church. Priest to God the Father, it means we don't longer need an intermediary that we can go directly to God. We have direct relationship with God. Praise God for that. Amen. And the also other thing is, does that priest become an advocate for God? That in a Second Corinthians 5 way, as a part of our new creation, we go to the world around us that is hurting, amen? We look, open the doors so the world is hurting, and maybe you're here and you're hurting. It doesn't have a whole lot of hope, and we go to them, and we say, there is a God that loves you. In 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus saved us, and then he sent us with the ministry of reconciled. Be reconciled to God, because we have an advocate named Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Would you surrender today? Would you turn from your sin and by the grace of God be saved? Man, praise his holy name. That's awesome. And we don't just exalt Jesus because of who he is to me and what he's done for me, if that were not enough. And by the way, it is, look at the beauty of this text, verse seven. We continue to exalt Jesus because of what Jesus will do for me in the future. Look at verse seven. Behold, he is what? He is coming with the clouds. He's a coming again. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Basically, and all the tribes of the earth will wail. They will mourn. Those that even hung Jesus on the cross, those that said crucify him, will see the reality of his divinity. 
that Jesus is who he says he is. The word behold there says, pay attention to, look, he is going to come again. We don't know the time exactly, but again, let's not focus on what we don't know. Let's focus on what we do know. Jesus is coming back and he will rule and he will reign. Praise God for that. There's grace and a lot of different interpretations on the when. We just know the what because we know the who. He's coming back for you and for me. Praise God for that. So today, will you choose to exalt him? Verse eight, it continues. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus, he's the beginning and he's the end. This is God sort of talking here, but these are also the same as Jesus. Jesus has referred to these things in other places as well. Alpha and omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. Jesus has always been. He always will be. Jesus in his past, who was, he created you. In the present, he saved you. And in the future, he is coming back for you. And when it says almighty, it means he has all power that no one and nothing can stop him. Praise God for that, amen. Will you worship him today? What's my response to the revelation of God in pure exaltation? The first thing is this, repent. Repent. All of us need to repent this morning. What sins in your life do you need to repent from? Confess them and throw yourself on the grace of God and God is faithful. He will forgive you as we can repent. That's a repentance. You want revival? Revival starts with repentance. Where do you need to confess? What do you need to repent? God's grace is sufficient. Your price has already been paid. And secondly, we need to rejoice, right? We need to exalt. Exaltation, pure exaltation. All glory and power to God forever and ever. And then we need to return. We need to realign realign our hearts and our lives on Jesus Christ, the centrality of this. Where in your life do you need to realign? And then we need to resolve. Life is hard. People are going to attack. It's going to be difficult. The adversity will come. You need to resolve to stand on these truths and, and worship our way through the worry and the difficulty of life. So where do you need to repent? Where do you need to rejoice? Where do you need to return? Where do you need to resolve this morning? That's our calling. Sin is great. Our Savior is greater. Look up to Jesus in exaltation. Look into your heart and see where you have strayed and today return and repent and look out to be resolved because other people need the Lord too. My right response to the revelation of Christ is the exaltation of Christ. Third and finally, the third response today is to endure through God's strength. Look with me at verse nine. It says, I, John, your brother and your partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud cloud like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Pause there for a second. Endure. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Tribulation means trials and troubles. It is promised to us as a believer. Who here wants to live a godly life, right? Rhetorical. You can raise your hand if you want, loud and proud. That's for rhetorical. That's awesome. That's the good news. The bad news for you, the hard news is anyone that wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12. Why are we surprised when persecution comes? Let's not try to run from the persecution. Let's lean into it. Frankly, you know, it's an sort of inside joke or whatever in a lot of ways, but this, man, if you're not facing trials and tribulations in your life, you should probably be more worried than if you are because Satan probably doesn't view you as much a threat to his kingdom. As disciples of Christ, you will face adversity and difficulty. Jesus spells that out. Count the cost. The world will hate you. They hated me, they'll hate you. Why should a disciple of me expect anything different than what has happened to me? But look at verse nine. I love this. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. You're not alone. You have a family of families known as the church that is walking through life together, right? You're not facing the trial alone. And if you are facing the trial alone, that's your decision. I love you. You need to choose to lean in today. You don't have to. There's a family here that wants to walk with you. We're not perfect, but we are pursuing brother. It's family. We're in this together. Partner for the gospel. And why are we suffering? For the kingdom and the patient endurance that Jesus was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God. He was sentenced to Patmos because of the word of God, because he held to the testimony of Jesus. 
But look at what happens. Jesus shows up in the middle of our adversity. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I love it. John's like, I'm in my mid nineties. I'm at a work camp, but I'm going to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. Amen. Some of us are like, it's Sunday. I'm going to hit the links as opposed to worship. Come on, man. The Lord's day is most likely like what we would call Sunday. He's like, I was in the spirit. I was worshiping the Lord. And out of, the, out of nowhere, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book. You know whose voice that was? Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being John, who had walked intimately with the Lord for three years, had no, knew his Savior's name? I stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus said, would you please take care of my mother? Saw Jesus, saw Jesus for 40 days after he was resurrected, was there when Jesus was ascended, hadn't heard his voice. 60 years later, out of nowhere comes the trumpet-like voice of our Savior. Isn't that awesome? Just imagine. I, I'm going to drop to my knees right now. Awe and worship and wonder. John was in prison, yet he was still exalting the Lord. Are you? He says, write it and send it to these churches because they need to be encouraged too. So how do we endure for Christ? Here are two keys to practically enduring for Christ. We know the why because Jesus is worth it. We want to exalt him, but how do we practically do it? This text teaches us. Two keys. One is this patient perseverance. Look at that. It's right there in the text, verse 9. The kingdom and with patient endurance. Now, patient isn't nat- patience isn't natural, is it? One of the scariest prayers to pray is, God, please give me patience, right? Because he won't just give it to you. He'll give you an opportunity to grow in it. And we will learn very quickly how unnatural all of of us is. But the word there in the Greek, actually, for patient endurance is one word. It's this beautiful Greek word called hippomene. It means to endure under. It doesn't mean to run from. It means to endure under. It means to acknowledge that the pressure is there and to continue to persevere and to endure. Now, there is no endurance without perseverance, right? Like, I can't roll out of bed and run 26 miles today. That's endurance. It takes endurance, but I can't build myself up from couch potato to marathoner without perseverance. When I have day one, okay, I can do maybe one mile, but my body says stop. Okay, day two, I can maybe go two, right? So that's persevering to build up endurance to stand under the trial to accomplish the goal. Same thing spiritually. We have to continue to allow the pain that is in this world to push us to Christ, to lean our dependency, understand the reality that there is a purpose for it. As we cling to God's character and proclaim his promises, as we worship through our worry, as we praise in the problem. That same word, hippomene, James uses it. James, a half-brother of Jesus who writes the book of James, he says this in James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? Anybody counting joy your trials this morning? I struggle with this. Maybe, maybe you're different from me, but I struggle with this. Why do we do this? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness, steadfastness is that word hippomene. Steadfastness is patient endurance. Have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is purpose for your pain, amen? There is purpose that God's working in it to refine you, to become more like him, to develop that steadfastness. He wants you to be perfect in him and outside of it before, until Jesus comes back, none of us will fully arrive. So we should expect a life filled with perseverance and endurance and trial. God is with you. He won't waste the trial if you lean into the trial. What trials in your life do you need to stop running from and lean into today? Lean into the word, be blessed by it. We already saw that and allow God to work in it and through it. Second key to enduring for Christ is proper perspective, verses 20 through 12, 12 through 20. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash round his chest, the hairs of his head were like white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burn, burnished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like shining, the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, 
I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, that same word, behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. Praise God, amen. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Proper perspective. Where do you need to change your perspective? How do I have, what's the proper perspective? Look in the text. The first is this, behold, Jesus's purpose. He says in verse 12, that you, I saw seven lampstands. We have the purpose as the church of God to shine brightly the gospel of God, to reflect the character of God in a dark world. Where does light shine darkest, brightest? In the darkness, amen? Often God will allow darkness so that his light will penetrate so that as we stand firmly on his word in the middle of our trial, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, and our friends might see the hope of the gospel. How do you have peace as you're mourning the loss of a loved one? How do you have hope when you lost your job? How do you have joy when you just got laid off and you're like, all I got is Jesus and that's enough because I trust in him. So friends, will you shift your eyes to the reality that God has a purpose for you? Change your perspective and it's to shine his light. Secondly is, is behold, look to this, look to God's position. Verses 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, we don't have time to dive into the, the nitty gritty here. But what John is being described to is this, he's seeing a vision of Jesus as king and as judge. Full with great wisdom, the white hair and the power, the burnished bronze, the flame of fire, the son of man, Jesus is king and the judge. And Jesus will judge us. And you know what he'll judge us with? It says it in verse 16, the two-edged sword, the word of God. Is your life aligning with the word? And when this gives us hope, this perspective, I no longer have to fear man. Jesus himself says, fear not in this text. Fear not. You don't have to worry about pleasing your boss. Your neighbors might speak down about you because of your faith, but I got you. You don't live to please them. You live to please me. Where do you need to change your perspective on who you're living to please today? Jesus is your judge and he will, we will all be judged with the authenticity of our life. Thirdly, we need to behold Jesus's power. Look at, your, look at this. You're like, my life is hard Look at the power of God in verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. The grave can't hold me, guys. And look at this. I have the keys to death in Hades. He owns Satan. He is the landlord of hell. Death can't stop him. The, it just can't. The grave could not contain him. That's our savior. That's his power. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside you and it's inside me. Trust that. Drop anchor in that. Look to that power today. Live in that victory today because when you live with reverence, you live with confidence. In so many days, I heard, a, I heard a missionary that was going through a lot of persecution one time say this. He was like, how do you have confidence to push on? You've lost your family. Your, your life is in peril. And he goes this, because I've read the end of the book and I know that my God wins. And that this world is not my home and this world is not my end. Praise God, amen. There's gonna be much more on that in the weeks to come. So today, where do you need to fix your focus? Where do you need to remember your Redeemer? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to rejoice? When you read, and where do you need to resolve and where do you need to return? When you read the book of Revelation, you just see an explosion of worship out of a heart of awe. Here's my challenge for this series, for my heart and for yours. Take the governor off. Don't worry about your neighbors. This word says right here, God is your judge. Don't worry about how they view you, what you do to you, literally. Maybe the people sitting around you right here, or your neighbors at home, your friends, your real... But focus your heart on responding to the revelation of God, Jesus, with the exaltation of Jesus. With repentance and brokenness, let the tears come. Return to your Savior. Refocus your life. Reallocate your resources around the reality 
of the grandeur and the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It changes your life. And when you read the book of Revelation, you see the elders and the people of God responding in wholehearted worship. So I'm going to read, as we close right here, I'm going to read a couple of verses from the book of Revelation. And then we're going to sing a response song. My challenge to you is to take the governor off your, your worship. That there's not a posture that you have to do. But if God brings you to your knees, if he breaks you down and you fall on your face, do it. If you want to stand up and, and raise your hands in, in great adoration, do it. If you want to sit, do it. If there's somebody here that you're like, I need to go pray with that person, do it. If you want to come to the front and kneel and repent, do it. Because he's worthy. And I want us to, he's calling us to grow as passionate worshipers, to take our hearts and open them up and give him everything. He's talking to every single one of us. And if you've been putting far too off long coming to the Lord as your personal savior, do it because he's worthy. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads with me right now? I'm just going to read the word of God over us because we saw earlier the blessing of God comes through the public reading of God. Amen. And the listening of God and then the keeping of the word of God. So I want you to have the blessing of God this morning. I want you to receive. So I just pray that you would open your hearts right now and hear how great our Savior is. And then however the Holy Spirit throughout the worship and response song leads you, do it. Get up and move. You have freedom. Do it because he's worthy. Beginning in Revelation 4, and the four living creatures, each one of them with six wings, are full with full eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, the 24 elders fall down before him and seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him. And they say, worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And when he had taken the scrolls, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a heart and golden bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and under and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped him. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation for all tribes, people, languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were around their throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God. God forever and ever. Amen. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you and we adore you. God, we just come with broken hearts and open hearts and just repent before you of the times that we have not lived in lives that have been worthy of the greatness of you, Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts, expose those places where we have drifted from you, Jesus. In your great love, 
call us back and remind us again of your grace, which we can never outrun, which is always sufficient, which is ever abundant, and your love with, with, without condition, God, where you lavish it upon us and remind us again that we are loved and we are welcomed as we are, and you will forgive us of our sins wherever we are, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. And in this moment, I just pray that you would bring just a brokenness in our hearts, God, and a joy that arises out of the reality of the awesomeness of who you are. Spring forth an exaltation and an adoration that is worthy of your name, the magnificence and the glory of who you are. May we behold you afresh, that you are risen and that you are reigning, and may we reset and realign our lives on you, and may we resolve, no matter what comes our way, no matter the hostility, adversity, or difficulty, that we will stand confidently in your victory, and we will herald your name boldly as we walk humbly before you, our God. Jesus, we love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.